You are listening to audio messages from Sunday mornings at Horizon. It is our hope and desire that this podcast would be a useful tool in your growth and in your walk with Christ. If you've not yet subscribed to our various channels, make sure you do so in order to stay up to date with the most current messages. More information about Horizon, as well as notes for this message, can be found at www.horizonweb.org. Well, we are finishing today. I know, seven, how many, how, how much can he talk about this? The rest of my life. I'm just saying, guys. It was hard to condense this. Uh, and even today, to, to fly over what we're going to do, it, it, it's a flyover. It's not a dug down deep type thing. And so let me just kind of review where we've been. For some of you, may be new. If you haven't watched any of them, you can go back online and watch them. But we started with your understanding of who God is dictates the course and future of your life. And it does, guys. God does not want us to worship in ignorance. That's why he shows us in a very limited way. These are the, the attributes are the only things he's chosen of himself to reveal to us. I guarantee you. There is more. And even when, you know, we, we just got done singing that song, I stand in awe of you. And how easy it is to look at our watch. How many times are we going to say I'm standing in awe of you? Guys, when you get it to heaven, you won't be able not to stand in awe. This is practice <laughs> for what is to come and hopefully this morning, as we dig a little bit deeper, as we work through Hebrews 11:6, without faith is it impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to Him must believe He exists. That's where it starts. But the promise is that He rewards those who earnestly who earnestly seek Him. He rewards them with revealing who He is, that you'll never get to the bottom to of, ever. And so that's why we encourage you. This is a book you should have on your shelf, The Knowledge of the Holy. It's one of those books that should be gone through on a regular basis, just to remind you. And I guarantee you, new things will pop out that you didn't see on the first time through or the second. So we've covered these things. We've covered the self-existence, self-sufficiency, and eternity of God. The infinitude, the immutability, and omniscience of God. The wisdom and omnipotence and transcendence of God, omnipresence and the faithfulness and the goodness of God. Last week, the justice, mercy, and grace of God. And today, we're going to cover some real easy ones love, holiness, and sovereignty. Kind of save the best for last because some of these are my favorite. So let's start off with the love of God. And whether you're here, maybe you're watching online, you're going, finally, one that I understand the love of God. Because that's what it is, right? God is love. That's what the world says. God is love. And is not not true that God is love? Is God love? Yes. The Bible says that, Tim. I mean, God is love. I realize that 1 John 4, 8, 1 John 4, 16, all say the same thing. Wherever, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And we say that, but there's a problem when we emphasize it too much. How 
can you emphasize the love of God too much? Because this is what the world does. They say love equals God. Therefore, God equals love. God and love are the same thing. And that is not true. God is not love, and then all these other things we've talked about are kind of like just temperaments that he has. Sometimes he's just, sometimes he's holy, sometimes he's omniscient, but he's always love. Guys, he is always all those things and always love. He can show mercy, he can show justice, he can show love all at the same time. We cannot elevate one over another. And that's what the world wants to do. That's why if we come against something that the scriptures come against, well, that's not very loving. Yeah, it is. Because I'm telling you the truth. You just don't like the truth I'm telling. And I can say it in love, but that's not what they're hearing because they want to put God in their little box. And we're just as guilty of that. We pick and choose what we like of God and not accept God as, as a whole. And God has to be accepted with all of them. J.I. Packer puts it this way. God is love is one of the most tremendous utterances in the Bible and also one of the most misunderstood. False ideas have grown up around it like a hedge of thorns, hiding its real meaning from view. And it is no small task cutting through the tangle of mental undergrowth. Yet the hard thought involved is more than repaid when the true sense of these texts come home to the Christian soul. How many of you have hiked up Half Dome? I know John has. Anybody else? All right, several hiked up Half Dome. This is the route you take. It, my knee hurts just looking at it, okay? I've been that far. I think on our honeymoon, honey, we got that far right there. That takes, that's an all-day journey, correct, guys? It's all day. I mean, then you got to go up this thing. And I love that those who climb Half Dome do not complain of their labor once they see the view from the top. It can be arduous. It can be difficult digging through the scriptures to find out what certain things, aspects of God is all about. But I'm telling you, it's like this hike it's worth the view. It's worth the time it takes to get to the top, to see those things. And then you come back down, and then you do it again. It never, ever stops. And you have to accept all these attributes at the same time because they're all true. They're never in conflict with each other. It's what we talked about last Sunday. It's, it's a grand symfo- symphony that's being played out. All the parts playing, all at the same time, all included. That is who God is. Yes, it's true that God is love, but he can be loving and bring justice all at the same time. He can be self-existent because that means love was from the beginning. He can, he's eternal which means there's no end to his love. His transcendence means that his love is incomprehensible, bottomless. You can't get to the end of it because they're all connected together. In verse 18 of 1 John, this is what John writes. There is no fear in love. And I'm sure many of you maybe have a plaque on your wall in your bathroom or something, but perfect love, what? Cast out all fear, drives out all fear. 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Because fear, that's a painful emotion. Some of you know, I mean, some of you live in that fear because you've had hurts. You've had issues in the past. But this is why it says love casts away, takes away fear. It's kind of like a kid who, let's say on Black Friday, who dares to go out with their mom or dad on Black Friday. And they're in the supermarket and people are running around. And all of a sudden, this child gets separated from his parents. All of a sudden, panic sets in because all he sees is strangers. All she's experiencing is these giant people, and she can't see, they can't see the one that they came with, their mom and dad. And they do one of many things. They can start crying, they can run, they, they can hide, they, many things, because all of a sudden, fear grabs hold of them. But all of a sudden, here's mom or dad reaching out their head, grabbing their kid, and what happens? The fear goes away. Strangers are still around them. Same strangers. But because they're in the arms of their parents, all of a sudden the fear is cast away. Tozer puts it this way. As long as we are in the hands of chance, as long as we look for hope in the law of averages, as long as we must trust for survival to our ability to outthink or outmaneuver the enemy, we, we have every good reason to be afraid and fear torments. If we're not placing ourselves within the arms of God's love, of his, his, his protection. And here's the truth, guys. God does not love populations. Wait a minute. God so loved the world. So yet, Tim, God does love populations. Keep going on the verse. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that what? Whoever, that's you. He doesn't love masses. He loves individuals one at a time because that's an intimate thing. And when we begin to embrace that love, a love, remember, this is the unknowable God who's chosen to be known. He chooses to allow his love, the understanding of that, to be known. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's how it starts. Christ has got to be there. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in that love, that you've sunk down into Christ and his love, that established in love, may have the power together with all the saints to grasp. Not on just you. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning. The importance of gathering together strength and unity of belief in what he has. And look how he describes it. To grasp, to hold on to. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. I mean, you remember that song? Deep and wide, deep and wide. I mean, if you learned it, that's what it's talking about. That you can grab hold of just how fast. You can't measure it how deep his love is for you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge it's not just here. It's just, I know God so loved the world that he loved me. It's taking that I know God loves me and bring it right down here. 
It's more than just a head knowledge. It deals with the heart. The Amplified Version, which I love the Amplified Version. If you have your Bible apps, that's one of the apps you can choo choose to, as far as a, um, a Bible to read. It's called the Amplified Version, which basically amplifies the words. Verse 17 says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through your faith, and may you, having been deeply rooted and securely grounded in love, be fully capable of comprehending with all of the saints, all God's people, the width and length and height and depth of his love, fully experiencing that amazing, endless love. And that you may come to know practically, through personal experience, the love of Christ, which far surpasses mere knowledge, knowledge that's without experience. God wants us to fully and be embraced by that love. And some of you, if you're in a, a well, I'm going to say, if you're in a relationship, you know what I'm talking about. Now, there's some relationships that aren't very loving. I'm talking about when you're in a relationship that is secure. You're in a relationship that you feel safe. You're in a relationship that the love never stops being poured out. That's the experience that I can have with Jesus Christ. That I'm fully capable of understanding and embracing that love. Paul writes in Romans 5.5, 5, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. This poured out means free flowing, a large quantity that God has flooded over into you if you choose to receive it. By how the Holy Spirit, that means it's always there. If we look for it, if we embrace it, is it possible to push, push away love? Yes? Is it possible to say, no, I don't need that? Is it possible that we don't take the time to dive into the scriptures to see how big, how wide, how long, how deep his love is? Because when we don't do that, guys, we're going to miss that out, miss out on that. John MacArthur puts it this way. Ultimately, the love of God is the basis for all our hopes, it is the object of our deepest longings. It is the source and fulfillment of our faith. It is the very basis for his grace to us. The Bible says, <laughs> you can't love until what? You love yourself, obviously. But you don't even know what love is until God has loved you. God loved you first to show you what love is. I remember talking to a gal at, in Fresno. She was at Fresno Pacific, a gal on the basketball team, and we were talking about relationships, and she was longing to have a boyfriend. And as we were talking, I just said, you know, you need to first fall totally in love with Jesus before you ever be able to love somebody else. I, when I spoke in Fresno a few years ago, she was at that church and she came up to me and reminded me of my words to her because it was true. She dove into that. And she, now she has a husband and kids and they're just, I'm getting old. But to see that happen, to realize I have to fall in love with Jesus before I can love anybody else. Your understanding of who God is dictates the course and future of your life. And diving into that, guys, can be a scary thing because all of a sudden we can easily see how unworthy we are. That's, 
doing, doing the Lord's table here. I mean, <laughs> it should be a conflict that I am unworthy of the love that God has, but then it should be the greatest joy in my life that he chose to love me anyway. The love of God. The holiness of God. Now in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah is a prophet. And in chapter 6 of Isaiah, it says he has a vision where all of a sudden he's before the throne room of God. He sees God there and all the angels flying around him. Now, this is Isaiah 6, which means there's five chapters before that where he was still the prophet of God, where he was still in touch with God, where he still had a relationship with God. And now in chapter 6, God reveals himself. He's before the throne room. He sees all this, and he says in verse 3, and they were calling to one another. These are the angels, the seraphim. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, from the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I mean, that's where you just have to visualize what Spielberg could do with that in front of us. I mean, just, just the, 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 the shaking. I mean, we freak out when, you know, things start to sway an earthquake. Can you imagine he's in the throne room? Everything's shaking. It's filled with smoke. And his response wasn't like you see some preacher say, yeah, I saw God the other day. I said, hey, how you doing? He falls to the ground like a dead man. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. All of a sudden, when he views God in, in the presence of God, he realizes his sinfulness, even though he's been a prophet for five chapters before this. And until we come to that place, until we see ourselves as God sees us, he sees all the sin, he sees all the mistakes, he sees all the thoughts, he sees all that, yet still he wants a relationship. That, that's what causes us to repent. It's not just, oh, I just want to go to heaven, so I'll repent. It's when I realize in the presence of a holy God, his holiness, because that's who God is. He is holy, totally separate from everything else. I mean, I, there's, so, there's so many definitions, and all of them say, this doesn't even define what holiness is. Tozer writes in his book, God's holiness? We know nothing like the divine holiness. It stands apart, it's unique, it's unapproachable, it's incomprehensible and unattainable. The natural man is blind to it. He may fear God's power and admire his wisdom, but his holiness he can't even imagine. Of how different, how separate. We talked about that with the transcendence. That there's, there's a gap that exists between me and a caterpillar, but the gap between the angel in heaven and God is infinite. You can't compare those two. And his holiness sets him apart from everything else. And yet, at the same time, God says, I am holy, you be holy. 1 Samuel 2 2 says this What's God, What is God's holiness? There's no one holy like the Lord. There's no one besides you. There's no rock like our God. 
Isaiah 40, 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Lord God Almighty. Holiness is his utter, unique, divine self. There is nobody like him. Nothing can touch him. Yet again, that holiness, he says, I want you to be holy as well. David Mathis says it this way. Once we've stood in utter silence, captured by God's by his godness, speechless with wonder and awe, filled with reverence and unmatched admiration for our creator and redeemer, then we're ready to talk about holiness in the created and the redeemed. How mind-numbing it is that the, this holy God not only stoops to pardon our sin, but also empowers us to share in his holiness. True, to be the word holy it's really that carries us beyond words. I am holy. I want you to be holy. I'm totally distinct from everything else. I want you to be like no, nobody else. There should be something different about each one of us who claim Jesus as our Savior. There should be something different how we treat our spouses, how we treat our kids, how we work our jobs, what we do with our time, with our money, with our resources, with our talent. We should be so separate that the world says, I don't get this. Why? And that's why Peter says, when people come to you asking reason to give the hope that you have, they're seeing, the only reason they're coming to you is they see something different. You're not like everybody else. You're not acting like everybody else. You're not just part of the crowd. There's something about you that stands out. Maybe it's your speech. Maybe it is your work, work ethic. Maybe it's how you treat your neighbors. Something that separates us from the world. And God says, guys, my holiness, my totally separate from everything, nothing can compare to me. I'm saying you be that way as well. Not living as, look at me, look what I can do. It's, I'm choosing to live a certain way because I've dived into the scriptures and it's telling me to live this way. So this is how I'm gonna treat my spouse. This is how I'm gonna treat my neighbor. This is how I'm gonna talk about this at the dinner table. I'm different because of God that is inside of me. God's holiness. Lastly, the sovereignty of God. And if I've said this once, I've said it a thousand times, guys. If you, if you get this one down, if you can grab hold of sovereignty, all the other things fall in place. They all fall in place. If you can grab the sovereignty of God. Tozer puts it this way. God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. Because if God doesn't know everything, if he's just missing one thing, then he's not all-knowing and his sovereignty goes bye-bye. If he doesn't control every atom in the universe, if he doesn't have that power, then his sovereignty goes bye-bye. If he is not totally free to do whatever pleases him, that he's bound by some other rules that have been established, he's not sovereign. He's not king. He is not over everything. Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. We, we read this during Christmas time. I guarantee you'll hear it from the pulpit here at Christmas time. We'll sing about it. 
For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be what? No end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and what? Forever. His kingdom, his rule, his sovereignty is forever. And that aspect, guys, of God free to do whatever he ple- what pleases him throughout scripture. Now, we think that we are free to do whatever we want, right? Are we free to do whatever we want? Do we have absolute freedom? No. I mean, we live in America. Does that not make us the home uh, the land of the free? I mean, I'm free. I'm a free bird. I mean, in fact, there's a song, Free Bird, right? I'm just free as a bird. But here's the deal. A bird is limited by weather conditions. Varying air pressures, local food supply, predatory beasts, got them in our yard, the irresistible compulsion to stay within the small plot of land. Yeah, we say it's free as a bird, but the bird is totally dependent. It has needs. You do too. You're not free. I'm going to tell you right now, the only reason you're breathing right now is because God's not done with you yet. He gave you the breath and your body to, you know, you're talking, well, you know, I work for food. Well, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the job? Who put you here in America? I mean, all these things, see, we think we're free and to, to a degree we are. God's given us, given us freedom, but with conditions. I'm free to fly. And if I jumped off the stage, you'd see that. I, I would fly. 1,001, boom. Okay. No, I'm free to fall. When we look at this, that only God is totally free. We are not. John Piper puts it this way. There are no limits to God's rule. This is part of what it means to be God. He is sovereign over the whole world and everything that happens in it. He's never helpless, never frustrated, never at a loss. Oh, no, what's going to happen? The Republicans didn't do a sweep. What? Oh, no. And in Christ, God's awesome, sovereign providence is in place. We feel more reverent, more secure, and more free because he is in charge. He is sovereign over the universe, guys. He does whatever pleases him. He's never backed into a corner. But when you start talking about sovereignty, and and Tozer does a great job in his book on this, questions pop up. Instantly questions pop up. First one, the presence, in the, the presence of, in the creation of those things which God cannot approve of, such as evil, pain, and death, if God is sovereign, he could have prevented their coming into existence. Why did he not do so? I remember coming home. I remember the bus of the fire engine and the cars out, out front. I remember coming in, my, parents, my mom and the neighbors were all crying and being told my little brother drowned in our backyard pool. Uh, and I remember a lady, I'm not going to say her name because if you have that name, I don't, I, I, we don't have anyone by that name in this church. I don't allow them in the church because I don't like the name. 
But the neighbor by this name says, because when my mom told me, I threw my books across the room and she got in my face and said, that's no way to act, young man. Well, I gave her a one finger hello and a couple of words to go with it. Um, and I was mad. I mean, rightly so. But in my mind, as God was being thrust on me then, all I could think of, well, if God is so powerful, he could have stopped that. Because as they kept talking, all I saw was God holding my little brother under the water. Just being honest with you. And I get it. Some of you here, or many of you here, go, there's Darth Vader, see? I just... <laughs> Many of you have experienced horrible things. And it's not wrong, as I texted a friend this morning, um, because they, this family has walked through such difficult times. I, I, I have no answer. And as a believer, I can't answer what God has not given an answer to. He's not given a reason why bad things happen to good people. There's a part of me where I have to trust in God's sovereign wisdom and his power, his omniscience, I mean, all these things. The answer is in his sovereign wisdom, God has permitted evil to exist carefully restricted areas of his creation, a kind of fugitive outlaw whose activities are temporary and limited in scope, but still under God's control. See, I can't say God didn't know what was going to happen to my brother. I can't say God wouldn't happen to know that I lost my leg. What is God thinking? Did he get the wrong address? Which I've said that of many people. When thing after thing after thing it gets to hit them, I go, God, you have the wrong address. What's going on? God never has the wrong address. And see, this is back to where I have to put faith in what I know to be true about God. He's not panicking. He's not backed in a corner. He does what pleases him. And there's a plan, and sometimes I get to see it. Sometimes I get to see kind of why this happened and the good that came out of it the positive that came out of it. Whether I understood or whether because of what I've gone through, I can turn around and help somebody else go through the same thing. I can point them, I know what you're going through, this is difficult, but this is what I've learned through this. I can't answer the question of why. He hasn't answered me, I'm not, maybe he will answer you. I have to trust in that God is sovereign. He does what he pleases. And sometimes he allows things to happen so that his ultimate plan gets taken care of. And I have to trust that. Because then the second rule is if God rules his, second question, if God rules his universe by his sovereign decree, how is it possible for man to exercise free choice? If he cannot exercise freedom of choice, how can he be held accountable, held responsible for his conduct? Is he not a mere puppet whose actions are determined by a behind-the-scenes God who pulls the strings as if he pleases? 
If I don't have the freedom to choose that God has somehow put the choices in front of me, that God forces me to do something, then how can I be held responsible for the bad I do, right? That's a great question. But the thing is, God answers God's sovereignty, decreed that man should be free to exercise his moral judgments, his choices, and he does every single day. Open the news, that guy had to chose that way, that guy chose that way, that gal chose that way. They've been allowed to make certain choices. And the eternal decree decided not which choice the man should make, but that he should be free to make it. In his absolute freedom, God has willed to give man limited freedom. And it's illustrated best by an ocean liner. Some of you have taken cruises. You get on the boat. Um, you got a captain, you got a crew, and the boat is full with people. The captain and crew has already determined where this boat's going to go. It's predetermined that it's going from here to here. And there's nothing that the people on board can do about that because that's been predetermined. This is the destination. But they are totally free on board to do whatever they want. They're not in chains. They can eat, they can drink, they can party, they can do whatever they want on board. But that doesn't affect where the ship is going. It's still bound to this. And that's how we have to look at God's sovereignty. Yes, God has, has a plan. He has a purpose. He has a reason that is going to be fulfilled no matter what I do. But in that trip that we're all on, I have the freedom to do certain things. That's why we say, well, I want to be in God's will. What does God want me to do? Does he have everything planned out? Should I wear this vest with this shirt or should I go on with a gray? Should I go on with the gray shoes or the black? I mean, what should I eat for lunch? Should I go Mexican or should I do sushi? Because I want to be in the center of God's will. And some people drive themselves crazy with that. I just tell them, guys, God's will is like this, this tabletop here. There's freedom. I can choose to go here, I can choose to go here, do this, do this. I have freedom. Now, there's edges where God says, nope. But I have freedom within here to make a decision and still be within the will of God. I mean, before I came to Stockton, leaving Fresno, I had the choice of Arizona, I had the choice of Alaska, uh, Alaska, the choice of Alaska, I had the choice of back east, and I had a choice of Hawaii or Stockton. I chose Stockton. <laughs> My kids said that. We could have been in Hawaii. Trust me. I looked at all the options going, I don't know if I can live trapped on an island. I don't know if I can do that. Then why did you choose Stockton? Because that's the last time I probably could choose to be where my parents were at. And it was more important to me to have my kids around my parents. I could have chosen anyone I believe and been in the will of God. I could have chosen Hawaii. I could have chosen Alaska, Arizona. I could, because I'm still going to use my gifts that he gave me and my talents he's given me wherever I go. He gives me freedom in that. He allows me to choose. When I listen to God's voice, when I see, because when I just want to hear from God, you got a Bible. Best way to hear from God Open your Bible. 
Because all authority in the universe belongs to God, according to Romans 13.1. His governing authorities. God will do all that he plans and pleases, according to Ephesians 1.11. Predestined. He, he, knows what, he knows where the ship's going. God shares total authority and rule completely with Jesus. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, Jesus said to the disciples. He removes and installs the rulers of the government, according to Daniel. No plan of man succeeds but those that God has in his infinite wisdom has painted, according to Psalms. No man, no nation, force, a force of nature can thwart his holy plans, according to Job 42.2. We are nothing compared to his greatness, Isaiah 40 says. And you have, he has absolute sovereignty over our rule, of our, of our lives. That's what Psalms 31.15 my times are in your hands. He knows exactly how much time he's given me here. God's love, God's holiness, his sovereignty. So let me wrap this up real quick. Tozer says this at the end of his book. When viewed from the perspective of eternity, the most critical need of this hour. Now, he wrote this in 1945. The most critical need of this hour may well be that the church should be brought back from her long Babylonian, Babylonian captivity and the name of God be glorified in her again as of old. Yeah, we must not think of the church as an anonymous body, a mystical religious abstraction, we Christians are the church, and who, whatever we do is what the church is doing. The matter, therefore, is for each of us to pers for is for each of us a personal one. Any forward step in the church must begin with the individual. When you pursue the knowledge of the holy. One point, it's the easiest thing to do because he's laid it all out for you in the Word. At the same time, it's the most difficult thing to do because you're going to run into your own pride, your own sinfulness along the way. Tozer says six things. Where do we go from here? First, we must forsake our sins. And I'm hoping we did that this morning when we took communion. We're sinful people. You sin, I sin. Some are just better at it than others, but we're all sinners that need forgiveness all the time to forsake our sin. The second one's a little bit more tricky because it says there must be an utter commitment of the whole life to Christ in faith. I've used this illustration before because our faith, I guarantee you, some of you in this room are looking at your faith in God as a pie while others are looking like a bicycle wheel. The pie people, they're probably more in the second service than this one, anyways. Uh, the pie people, they look at God as, well, I'm giving God a slice of my life. I've got God's slice, I've got my work slice, I've got my wife's slice, I've got my kid's slice, I've got my hobby slice. And so God is a slice of my pie. Or is God more like a bicycle wheel? Each spoke is a part, 
my family, my job, my kids, my hobbies. And God is the hub. Everything's tied to the hub. My job, my spouse, my relationship is all tied into God. Because let me tell you something, if you're, if you're a pie person, I'm gonna tell you, God is not settled for a slice. He will not be a slice of pie in your life. Won't do it. It's not how it works. You can't come to God and say, well, here's my slice of life. I'm gonna give you Sunday mornings and maybe a small group. I'll pack some boxes for Christmas and we all of a sudden determine what that slice is going to mean. God will not be a slice. There's an image of that. It doesn't say a slice of pie, but Jesus, people are on judgment day and people come to him and say, didn't we do great? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we heal? Didn't we do? And they start listing all these great things. Didn't we cast out demons? Wow. How many demons have you cast out this week? I mean, um, wow. And Jesus will look at them and say what? Depart from me. They're pie people. God is just a slice of my life. Guys, God's got to be the hub. Or he's nothing. Now, how that works is the rest of my life figuring out. Okay, God, I want you as my hub. I want my family to tie into that. Because sometimes, you know, if you have a bicycle wheel, you know, if one of those come out of balance, what happens to the wheel? Whoa, 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 whoa. So what do you got to do? I got I to tighten that part up. Or I tighten it up and get that wheel straight again. But God has to be the hub, not a slice. Thirdly, we must learn to depend on the Holy Spirit in our lives, which has been given to us in a date, us to daily lean on him, on God. That's what we talk about. God's love is poured out into our lives by how? The Holy Spirit of God, that no matter where you go, where you are in your car, where you are in locale, whether it's here, whether it's down south, whether it's back east, God is with you because the Holy Spirit is inside of you and you need to lean in on that to learn. Four, we must boldly choose to who we will be loyal to, to God or to this world. Can't do both. Am I, am I following God or am I following mammon, the world, money? Which am I pursuing? Not money, it's not, money's not bad. Money's not evil. It's what it does to you. We must practice the art of long and loving meditation upon the majesty of God. And guys, that can only happen through time of being in your word, being in prayer, and just sitting and looking at the majesty of God. You know what? If you, like right now, if you were to walk in my office, on the TV is... It's called flyover. Type in YouTube, say flyover. What, what country do you want to fly over? Canada, Finland, Austria, Australia. What, it doesn't matter, United States. And hours of drones flying over the United States, flying over Canada. I had Canada on this morning, which is beautiful music playing in the background. 
I just love the music, and I'm working, and I look up, and all of a sudden there's the lakes through Canada. And I just look, I said, oh, God, you are so awesome. I mean, I see places, I want to go there, and I want to go there, and I want to go there, and I've been there. I've actually stood in that spot of just marveling at the majesty of God. Guys, that only comes through time, through prayer, through reading his word. It'll be the drumbeat. Guys, you got to get in the book. You got to get in the book. You got to get in the book. And lastly, as the knowledge of understanding of God becomes more clear, then a greater service to our fellow man will become for us an imperative to do all that God requires of us. Because the more you get to know him, to be like him, the more you want to help other people. <coughs> I mean, guys, those who are involved, if you packed boxes, if you gave to it, you wrote notes in it, you packed this. Guys, I, I just kept seeing yesterday, envisioning these little kids, because I saw it on the video, as they opened it up and just excited. Those of you who wrote notes to those kids, can you believe it? That someone in Tanzania, someone in Singapore, someone in Africa is going to read your note. It's going to be told to them in their language of how God loves them. How powerful is that? That I get to be involved in that? The more I learn about God, the more I want to be involved in what he's doing. Hebrews 11, 6. God rewards those who earnestly seek him. And guys, when our understanding of him increases, it will dictate the course of my life. It will dictate how I live, how I how I work with my wife, my kids, my neighborhood, my job, but then ultimately it determines my future where I'm going to spend eternity. Don't stop pursuing God. Father in heaven, I thank you for today. That you gave us life, you gave us breath. We get to be here, take communion together, worship you. Father, may we not stop in our pursuit because someday we're going to stand before you and we're not going to be able to sit down. Someday we will join with the angels singing how holy you are. Help us prepare for that moment. We'll never get to the bottom of who you are, but we can sure make a dent. We can sure get started. May we pursue that, I pray. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.